Hey, well, good morning. What a great day, huh? You guys, you know, it's unbelievable. You get to come to church here every week and look out that view. I'm still getting used to it. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, I, I hope that you're having at least as half as much fun as I'm having because it is just amazing being here. It's so fun. It's like three weeks in a row. feels like it's going to stick. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and it's, just, it's just great. And it's so, it's so awesome hearing all the stories. You know, so many of you buying Bibles and getting tabs and uh, people that, uh, you know, never had a Bible, getting a Bible. And it's just awesome to hear what God's doing here. And, and so I'm excited. Let's jump in uh, with a word of prayer and then we'll launch into today's teaching. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing at Rocky Peak. And we're here as your people, the people of Rocky Peak, uh, just presenting ourselves before you as we do each week to say, Jesus, you're our teacher. And all we want to do is be like you. So help us to, to hear and listen what you want to say to us today. We understand that you're saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock at the door of the heart of my church. And those who open the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with them. And so today, Lord, we hear you knocking and we're opening the door of your word right now to listen to what you want to say. Amen. Well, we're continuing this series that we've been in now for a few weeks called 11 Laws to Live By. And if you're new here at Rocky Peak, we want to welcome you. And uh, let me just, this, this series, we talk about 11 laws to live by. We're not talking about laws in a legalistic sense, like the sort of law that if you break, you uh, get thrown into jail. These are more like the laws of nature. This is simply how life works. Like, you know, gravity, what goes up must come down, or the law of entropy, that the universe is kind of losing energy, those kinds of things. And so when we talk about 11 laws to live by, we're talking about laws that just describe this is how life works in the spiritual realm, in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. Now, today we're uh, going to law number three, which is the law of character. And before we jump in, I just want to ask you a quick question. I don't want you to raise your hand or answer me out loud, but just in your own heart, answer this as honestly as you can. And the question goes like this. If I were to ask you, what does it look like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, to be a spiritually mature person? What does that look like? What would you answer me? What would come to your mind? I think a lot of different things might come into different minds in here. We'll talk about those in a minute. But law three goes like this, and it's what we're talking about today, is that character is the very best way to measure maturity. Now, of course, we'll have to talk about well, what is character, what does it look like, but character is the best way to measure maturity. What I found over my life is that when you go to different Christian groups, different churches, different parachurch organizations, you talk to different believers that we have different images in our mind of what maturity looks like. Like, let me give you a few examples. For some people, the heart of maturity is knowing your Bible well. So if you know your Bible super well, uh, passage verse for everything, you can quote it, then you must be mature. For other people, it's, uh, well, if you're really into missions, then, well, that must mean you're mature. For other people, it's, are you really into worship? And some churches would be like, well, have you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you spoken in tongues? If you have, then, then you must be yeah, mature. And some churches, it's involvement. Other churches, it's giving. Other churches, it's evangelism. If you share Jesus with anything that moves, you must be mature, you know? And so different churches have different ways of measuring what does it look like to be mature. And it's so important how we measure it because the way we measure it is what we shoot for in our life. You see, if we could put a target right up here in front and say, here's the church of Rocky Peak. Here's what we're shooting for. Here's what we think maturity looks like. Guess what? It just has a natural magnetic pull. 
It pulls us towards this every week. That's what we're trying to produce. Well, what I'm suggesting today is from the word of God is that all these other things I mentioned are good things or you know, there's a time and place for whatever, but that the heart of maturity is to have the character of Jesus, to, to have the thoughts, the feelings, the actions and the reactions of how Jesus would react if he was living in your life, if he was doing life, uh, your life. Now, there in your note sheet, there's a great verse that, that sort of teaches this principle. It's Romans chapter 8 and 20, verse 29. So just so if you haven't looked at your note sheet, it's the white sheet in your, uh, your bulletin. Pull it out, look at the verse long. We're gonna read from the New Living Translation here. It says, for, for God knew his people in advance. So like he, he knew who was gonna come to him and it says he chose them to become, and I want you to underline this, he chose them to become like what? His son. Okay, the rest of you need to wake up now. Worship's over, all right? <laughs> he chose them to become like his son. That's what he's after in your life. Have you ever wondered what has God up to in your life? I can tell you, on authority of the word of God, I can tell you exactly what he's up to in your life. He is out to make you like his son. That's his goal when you came to Jesus. Now, look what it says. So that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. So God, what, what is he up to in the universe? He's up to creating a new family with men and women who act like their big brother, who, who are like their big brother Jesus, see? And that's what our goal has to be here at Rocky Peak. There's a lot of subset goals of that. You know, missions or evangelism or worship or Bible. Those are all great. They're subsets. But the overarching goal is to become like Jesus. Does that make sense? And so as a church, we're going to put a big target up here. We're going to say that's what we're shooting for. Our goal is to become like him, to, to do life as he would do life if he were in our shoes. That's, that's our goal. Now, of course, Jesus said this himself, and I want you to take your Bibles for this one. And using your tabs, move to Luke chapter 6. If you're new here to Rocky Peak, we hope you can get a Bible. In fact, if you're brand new, we'll, we'll give you one. And uh, we even have tabs you can buy, put them on there. So you can find your way around and feel like an insider. Okay, Luke chapter 6. I want you to catch something that Jesus said. This verse has profoundly impacted my life. And, of course, it will profoundly impact us as a church. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, Jesus once said, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, and you might want to, be under, you want to underline that, everyone is fully trained. It's textbook time now. Everyone is fully trained. What's the goal of a student? Well, when he's fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. You see that? Now, who's the teacher in our life? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> okay, do you think it's Buddha? <laughs> Confucius? <laughs> who's the teacher in our life? Jesus. Jesus. He's our teacher, isn't he? And so Jesus says, okay, here's the goal. If you're going to be students of mine, if you're going to be followers of mine, if you're going to be apprentices of mine, here's what we're shooting for. When you grow up, after I get through with you, you're going to be like me. And that's what we're shooting for. That's the target. And as a church, that's what, what other target could there be? You see? Now, 
Um, we need to roll up our sleeves now and talk about, well, what does this character look like? It's one thing to say that it's the mark of maturity, it's character, but what does that really look like? So let's, let's roll up our sleeves. There's a couple ways to go out this. One way to go at it is to study the life of Christ. That's probably the best way because you get to see the character of Jesus in action. But it's a little long doing the whole story of Jesus in one sermon. And so we're going to take a little different tack today. We're going to look at some lists in the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, the apostles will give us these character lists. And they'll list a bunch of character qualities, and they'll say, this is what it looks like to live like, like Jesus. This is what God is up to in your life. And so I've chosen three types of passages. We're going to look, first of all, at elder qualifications. Um, and because elders are spiritually mature leaders, right? That's what they're, they're supposed to be. And so, um, so there's a character list there. Then we're going to go to uh, the second passage. We'll look at the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is active in a person's life, in a man's life, a woman's life? How do you know that? Well, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in that life, and so there's character qualities. And then there's a whole another section called, I'm calling miscellaneous character qualities passages. And these are passages that are all through the New Testament. Ephesians 4, there's one in your life group you'll look at this week, 2 Peter 1. They're just awesome. They say, here are the character qualities. But to just give us a feel, we're going to look at just three of them. So let's turn, first of all, the passage on your note sheet is actually wrong. It's 1 Timothy 3.1, not 3.13. So 1 Timothy 3.1. This is one of those weeks it's good to come on Sunday morning because we got it wrong on Saturday night. Everyone was lost. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So what does a spiritual leader look like? What does a spiritually mature person look like? Well, here it is. It says uh, in verse one, here's a trustworthy saying. You know, you guys are so fast on the draw now. It's awesome. It used to be, you know, the first week I'd, I'd give a passage. I'd have to go get a cup of coffee and come back. You know, it's like, are they ready yet? No, 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 stay in the green room a little longer. Um, but now it's like I go, you know, First Timothy, boom, you're there. It's just so cool. Okay, First Timothy chapter three. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, a leader, an elder, he, desi he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer, the elder, he must be above reproach. Now, underline that. That's the key statement. The overseer must be above reproach. In other words, there's no area of this person's life that you look at and say, man, they are so totally blowing it in that area. You know, I can't believe that guy's a leader. He's a leader at your church? I mean, I can't believe it. You should see him on the job, you see? There's no glaring weakness, we might say. And then it begins to spell out like some of the character qualities. Well, the husband of one wife. In other words, he's a one-woman man. He's not a flirt. He's not two-timing. Then he's, he's loyal. He's a faithful husband. Then he goes on that he's temperate. In other words, he's sort of a balanced, even keel kind of person, not, you know, fly off the handle. Um, he's self-controlled. He knows how to do the right thing at the right time the right way. He's respectable. People respect him. Hospitable. He's friendly. He's, uh, he's able to teach. You know, he's able to say, here's what it means to follow Jesus. He's able to disciple someone. He's not given to drunkenness, so he doesn't have a chemical abuse addiction. He's not violent, but he's gentle. Notice that one. We'll come back to that one later. Not violent, but gentle. The, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is there's a gentleness. There's not, this is not an angry person. They're not quarrelsome. We'll come back to this one later. They're not a fighter. They don't love to fight. You know, there's some people that, they know their Bible like super well, but they just want to fight you over everything. And we'll see them sometimes as spiritually mature because they know all the Bible. 
Well, no, 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 no. There's, there's much more than that. In fact, in Jesus' day, there was a group of people that knew the Bible like the back of their hand, and they didn't know God from a loaf of bread. They were called the Pharisees, right? And they were Jesus' biggest enemy, but they totally knew their Bible better than any of us in this room will ever know our Bibles. See, knowing your Bible is no guarantee of anything. It's a path. You have to decide whether to walk the path or not. But they're not, so they're not gentle, they're not quarrelsome, and they're not a lover of money. They're not a materialistic person. Okay, let's look at the second one. Uh, Flip back to your left, uh, book of Galatians, chapter 5. Uh, Paul wants to talk to us about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you might remember that Jesus said good fruits produce good fruit. Bad uh, trees produce bad fruit. So you can tell the quality of a tree by the quality of the fruit. Same with our lives. How can you tell if someone is walking according to the Holy Spirit, a spiritually controlled person? Well, you can tell by the fruit in their life, by their character. And look at how he lists it out, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness. You see how these are all character qualities? Notice it doesn't say that the fruit of the Spirit is a really a gifted speaker. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is that they're really good at sharing Jesus on the bus. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is they're passionate about missions, although it's a good thing. You see? You see what I'm saying? So many times what we'll measure in church is the fruit of the Spirit. Hey, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't say you're there at church every time the door is open. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is you know your Bible backwards and forwards. And so many times we measure the wrong things. We put the wrong target on the wall, and then we wonder why we have churches full of fighting and, 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 uh, and conflict and, and all these issues. Well, guess what? We put the wrong target on the wall. We weren't shooting for the right target. And, and if we spend our whole lives shooting at the wrong target, we don't get very good at hitting God's bullseye. So he goes on. Let's look at goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Notice that one's there again, a gentleness. We'll talk about this more. And self-control, okay? So when the Holy Spirit's operating in our lives, these are the kinds of character qualities that we'll expect. Now let's look at one more. This is just an example of mis- a miscellaneous passage. Uh, go to the book of Ephesians, I mean, uh, book of Colossians to your right. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 12. Are, are you catching this? This is the heartbeat of the New Testament. Now, once I've pointed this out, you're going to see this everywhere. You're going to see it everywhere. It's amazing how we put up our target and say, this is what a mature Christian looks like, and the New Testament just doesn't affirm that so many times, you know? So, in chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, we're to clothe ourselves, kind of dress for success, clothe ourselves with, now notice these, these are five core qualities. You really see these in the life of Jesus. Compassion, kindness, humility. Remember how Jesus said that I'm humble, uh, come and take my yoke upon humility. Gentleness, there it is again, and patience. He says, how do you know if God's at work in a person's life, reshaping them? What does it look like to live a life to be like Jesus? Well, here's five character qualities. So, over and over, the New Testament holds up this mirror and says, this is what you should be looking like. Take a look in the mirror. How are you doing? Are you growing in your character? Now, 
what I'd love to do today, if we had about 15 hours, would be to go kind of point by point. Let's talk about patience. Let's talk about gentleness. Let's talk about kindness. Let's talk about compassion. Let's talk about self-control. Let's talk, and we just go down the line and talk about here and kind of you know, flesh it out. But obviously we don't. So what I've chosen is to show, I've chosen two what I would consider overarching and, uh, character qualities that just cover a lot of ground that I think are not only important for all of our lives, they're really important for us right now as a church. Right where we are right now as a church. These are very important as we start this journey together. So let's, let's jump in. The first one is integrity. So you've got there in your note sheet two marks of maturity. We're going to talk, focus on two of them. The first one is integrity. And I want to give you a working definition, okay? What do I mean by integrity for today? Let's fill in the blanks. Integrity is doing the right thing even when it hurts. Well, let me tell you something. If you do the right thing when it costs you nothing, that's good. It's the right thing. But it tells me nothing about your level of integrity. You know how I measure integrity? I always measure integrity by what a person does when it's cost them something. You want to measure your own integrity? That's the only way to measure it. You know, it's, uh, it's the only way to figure out whether you're a person of integrity. What do you do when the pressure's on when it really costs you something? So integrity, it's about things like telling the truth, keeping our commitments, living out our values even when they cost us. You know, um, when Lynn and I were first married, we moved back, I've uh, been married just a couple of years. When we first got married, she was going to Biola. And so I worked as this medical warehouseman, uh, forklift operator, to put her through school. And when she finished her nursing degree, we went back to Illinois, to Wheaton College, for me to finish my degree, so she returned the favor. And so she was a young nurse, and so she made pretty good money. We could, af- we could afford to live on her salary, but I needed to earn the money for my own tuition. And so I needed to find a job, needed to pay pretty well. And I was a forklift operator. That was my claim to fame. So I... I I looked for a job in forklift operating, and there was nothing in that Wheaton area, but about a half an hour, 45 minutes away, which is really a little bit too far in that kind of weather zone, you know. Um, there was a job, and it was a warehouse, a pretty light, large, biz, large company, and I went, they, they, were, they had an application for a forklift operator, so I went and I applied for the job, and they loved me. I was young, um, I had the perfect resume for this job, and I just flew through the interview, and they, they you know, hired me. They said, however, you have to go and take a physical, and no problem. So I go in, I take the physical, and you know, just you fill out the form, and I just kind of whipping through all the items, you know, blood pressure, medications, whatever, and I get to this one section, and it just says, um, do you have any back problems? Mm, kind of that deer in the headlight look. Because throughout, from junior high on, I had off and on some back problems, kept me out of a lot of sports and things like that. And I'd worked at this medical as a forklift operator for two years. I'd never missed a day of work. And so I felt kind of caught between. It's like, well, you know, I don't really, like, I've not missed work, but yes, I've had some back problems, and so what do I do? And so I wanted to do the right thing. And right then and there, I just kind of prayed about it. God, would you give me wisdom? And I really felt at peace about saying, fine, I'm, I'm healthy. You know, so I did that. And I just, but I kind of said, Lord, if, if, you, if I'm not hearing you right on this, then just let me know. You know, make it really clear. And so we go in. The next step, he's going to give the doctor. He's this gruff old guy. He's running through his things, you know, check, 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 check. And then he gets to the part about the back thing. And I just began to smile inside because it's like Jesus was there telling him what to say, you know. And he said, okay, have you ever had any, 
kind of back problem at all in any moment of your life. And inside I thought, I am so dead. I, I'm just so dead. And I really needed this job. It was the only job I'd been looking for weeks, really needed the job, really needed the money. But it was just so clear. He'd made it so clear for me. And I said, well, actually I have. And I knew the moment I said that, I was just, I was gonna lose the job. And so I lost the job and I went out. But it was one of the high moments of my life from an integrity standpoint. Now, in a few minutes, I'm gonna give you one of the low moments of my life. So, <laughs> so I gotta tell you the good with the bad, right? So for those of you who are saying, Wow, what a braggart. Uh, just wait, I'll even the scales. <laughs> um, uh, I know what to do, but I can't do the right thing, but I want to do the right thing. Anyway, so I lost the job. It was an integrity check moment in, those, in my life. Those moments come in our lives, don't they? Those times where it really costs you something to tell the truth, to keep a commitment, to do the right thing. Integrity is determined by what we do at th- those moments in our life. It's amazing how many times God just takes care of those things, though. You know, the next week, I got this amazing job working for Allstate Insurance. Um, I won't go into that. Um, but anyway, it, it was a great job, close to campus, not very easy work, no heavy lifting, so much better, and it paid more than either my job in California or there. And so many times it's like that. You take a stand, and God will take care of you eventually, you know, one, one way or another. All right, so... It's doing the right thing. Now, of course, Jesus is the model of this. Um, you know, one time in his life, at the end of his life, his enemies came. And you know, your enemies are always looking to dig up dirt on you, right? And so they're trying to dig up dirt on Jesus. They couldn't find anything. In fact, look what they said there in your note sheet, Matthew 22. It says, the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And they said, teacher, we know that you're a man of What? Integrity. So you kind of want you to catch this. Jesus was a man of integrity, therefore we're called to be people of integrity, right? See, that's the point. We're going to be like him. And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to whoever they are. In other words, you're going to just speak the truth regardless of the consequences. So tell us then what's your opinion. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So, of course, they're trying to set him up, get him in, in trouble with Rome. But the point I want you to catch is even his enemies, after watching him for three years, looking for something to accuse him of, the bet, all they could say is, we know you're a man of integrity, you see? And that's what he's after in our life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick little integrity check right now in your life, okay? Now, you want to cover your, your uh, paper. You don't want your neighbor to see this. But I want to ask you some tough questions in the life and about integrity. I want to see how you're doing. I want to see, hey, are you becoming like Jesus in this area? You know, or do you think that becoming uh, like Jesus just means going to church? No, no, we come to church to become like Jesus. It's all part of the process. So let me give you three quick questions. Number one, do you tell the truth even when it costs you? We just talked about that. But just in your heart of hearts, if I were to go to your family, your f- closest friends, Maybe uh, if you're married, your spouse, uh, your children, your coworkers, uh, the people you, you play ball with or whatever. If I were to come, I were to ask them and say, is John, would you say, does he tell the truth even when it costs him? That, that's the question. What would they tell me? I, I don't really care what you tell me, <laughs> to be honest. I care what those closest around you, what, what would they say? Would your spouse, if you're married, would they say, yes, my husband 
is a man of integrity. I know when he tells me something, I can take it to the bank. He will not lie. He will not deceive me. Uh, if he says it, it's true. You see, that that's where Jesus has taken us in our life, that people can trust us absolutely that we are men and women of our word. What we say, we mean. That leads to number two. Do you keep your, conv- your uh, commitments even when they're inconvenient? This is integrity. Integrity is about when we make a promise, we keep a promise. Do you ever see that Seinfeld? Do you ever watch Seinfeld? <laughs> Maybe I should be saying something else. <laughs> this is a great Seinfeld episode, one of my favorite ones, where Jerry's at the, he's at the counter. He's supposed to be getting his reservation for this car. And, and she says, uh, well, we don't have your reservation. He says, what do you mean? I reserved a car. Yeah, I know, but we don't have the car. And he said, wait a second. You took my reservation, but you didn't keep my reservation. That's the important part of a reservation. <laughs> it's not the taking of the reservation. It's the keeping. Well, in a similar way in our lives, it's not the making of commitments. It's the keeping of commitments. You see? That's what's important. That's what integrity is. It's not do you make commitments. It's do you keep commitments. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break the vow. You see? Do you, are you a man or a woman who keeps your commitments? Can your friends count on you? Are, you? are you reliable or are you flaky? See? This is what integrity is all about. The great passage in, in Psalm 15, we were going to put it on the homework this week for the life group homework, but we just had too many good passages, and so it, it got cut. If you want to do extra credit, there it is, Psalm 15. But it's on your note sheet. David says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? In other words, who gets to hang out with you, God? What's the kind of person who you hang out with? And it says it talks right away about character. He whose walk is blameless, who does what's right, that's character, who speaks the truth from his heart, see, character. But look at the next one. Who keeps his oath even when it what? Hurts. See that? Integrity is about keeping our oath even when it hurts. So let me tell you a time I did not do this. We came back from, after college, came back, needed a job again. Couldn't find a job. And we had some family friends who, wanted, who needed someone to paint their kitchen cabinets. And I didn't really know them that well, but they knew my folks. And they knew that I'd done a lot of painting. I'd worked for a painter for a while. Not real long, but for a while. Um, but I never really painted cabinets. I just painted walls. Um, and there was a difference, you know, if you've never done this. And what I didn't really realize is that when you paint cabinets, you have to prepare them. You don't just, like, paint over, you know. And so um, I, I painted over. Actually, what I did is I negotiated price. And I said, okay, I, I thought it's going to probably take me one day, maybe two at the most. And so based on that, um, I, I negotiated out a price with these people. And I thought it was fair. And they thought it was fair. It's actually a good price. And, and so I set out at work. Well, of course, I put on the first set of paint, and it just didn't really stick. I mean, it was just, it was gooey. You know what I'm saying? It just wouldn't dry. And so I was getting kind of impatient. I thought, well, maybe a second coat would help, you know. Um, <laughs> Which is, if you're ever in this situation, that's not the right answer. <laughs> but I put a second coat on, and now it just, it just didn't come out very well. And I, I honestly don't remember all the details of this story. It's kind of like a repressed memory. <laughs> but, um, but, but here's what I remember is, I remember they weren't real happy with my work, you know. And yet, you know, 
to redo the job would probably mean stripping them all down again and take, it'd probably take me a week. Strip them all down, then wait, and then, you know, sand them and prime them and do the whole thing the right way would have taken me a week. And I had negotiated out a price based on a week. You know, my price was based on a day or two. And so I rationalized it. I wasn't a man of integrity. I, I thought, well, you know, they got a good price to begin with. They're not perfect, but it'll probably do. I since went back more than once and apologized for that, tried to make that right. But that was a lack of integrity, wasn't it? It, I made a commitment. I will do your cabinets for this amount of money. And then I didn't do what I said because the cost went up in the meantime. I want you to catch this. This is what happens to us in life. We make commitments based on the market price of the commitment. (laughs) And then all of a sudden the market goes up and we find out that it's going to cost us more to keep that commitment than when we first made the commitment. And I tell you what, can I tell you this? We live in a culture that when the costs go up, we look for a loophole. Don't we? But no, no, no. We need to more like, be like Costco. You know what I'm saying? You can take anything back to Costco. They, they say, well, here's our commitment. We want you to be happy. If you're not happy, bring it back. If you bring it back, they keep their commitment. You see? So I'd like, we need to be like Costco Christians. You see? The three C's, Costco, commitment, Christians. It's not in my nuts. Okay. Number three. Third question for you, and these kind of questions keep getting harder, but are you the same person in private that you are in public? Now, of course, this kind of goes to the heart of the issue, isn't it? Integrity is about being who we really are all the time. There's a consistency about it. Of course, the opposite of integrity, at least one of the opposites, would be hypocrisy. And of course, there was only one kind of person that Jesus didn't hang out with and get along with. It was people who had hypocrisy, right? They were pretending to be who they weren't. When we, when we pretend to be something that we're not, we move into the realm of image management. We're not living a life of integrity. We're living a life of image management. There you know, cheap. A couple of great quotes. John Maxwell, image is what people think you are. Integrity is what you really are. Look at the next one. Thomas Macaulay is a famous historian, great thinker. The measure of a man's real character is what he would do if he would never be found out. Wow, isn't that great? That goes right to the heart of the issue. You think Jesus is going to go, oh, people are here, I'll do this. Oh, good, they're not here, I'll do what I really wanted. No, no, no. He was integrity. He, what you saw is what you got. You know, he was the same. Okay. Integrity is doing the right thing even when it costs you. Men and women, can I talk to you about, about my heart for this church? My heart for this church is that we would be men and women of integrity. That when people go to hire in the San Fernando Valley or Simi Valley or Santa Clarita, if they could get a employee that goes to Rocky Peak, they'd be like their first choice. Because experience had shown them you can trust those people. They keep their commitments. They're hardworking. They tell the truth. They follow through. They finish a job. They have a commitment to do it the right way. You see? 
That's what I want to hear about our church. I want to, I don't want, hey, you know, those people up there, they're always trying to talk to me about Jesus. You know what I'd rather hear first? Is those people, you can trust those people. Because once they trust us, then we can talk about Jesus and our, our testimony will carry weight. So many times we try to have an influence in the world without character and then we wonder why no one wants to be like us. <laughs> it's like, they're like, why would I want to, let me see, I follow Jesus and I get to be like you. And why would I want to do that? You see? But if we're men of character, men and women of character, people of compassion and integrity and gentleness, and we keep our word and we keep our commitments and we care about people, you say, would you like to follow Jesus? He's made a tremendous difference in my life. Guess what? Like, well, following Jesus, I get to become like you. I would love that. You know, if he could do in my life what he's done in your life. You, ever, you go to someone's house, you, they have a great backyard. Who did that? You want to get their name and number. You see their house, it's all designed beautifully. Who did that? Get their name and number, right? I want to have that done in my life. So many times, we want people to get, have people, would you, you need Jesus, he can do in your life what he's done in my life. And they're like, well, why would I want that? Make sense? Great story I heard a few years ago about integrity, and then we'll move on. It was written, it was an article. It was, it was in the Reader's Digest, so I'm sure it's true. Um, <laughs> it was an article by a, an architect from New York. His name's James Linfesty. Now, a name like that you wouldn't make up, right? So, you know, it's a true story. But anyway, it, he was 45 when he wrote the article. The, he, the article was about an incident when he was 11 years old. And here's how it goes. 11 years old, every year they would go up to New Hampshire. He and his family, they had a cabin there on a lake. He loved to go up and they'd go fishing with his dad off the dock. And they, every night they'd go out and his dad and he would go fishing. And often they'd stay out really late. Well, this one particular year they went up. It was the day before bass season. And, and so they were just out there getting anticipation for the next day. They get to go fishing for bass. And, and so they're, they're fishing and the sun's going down and pretty soon the stars have come out, the moon's out and they're still fishing. And the little boy has put on a silver lure because to practice his casting. And he's casting from the dock with his dad. This is beautiful New Hampshire quiet. No one on the lake. You can see all the way across, but no one's there. But uh, just a beautiful time for this boy and his father. And all of a sudden as he's casting and he's casting, just practicing, all of a sudden... On one of the casts, his pole just doubles over. It's the biggest fish he's ever caught in his life. And he begins reeling that thing, and this little 11-year-old struggling with this little pole, bringing this in. And the father stands back, and he's watching with great admiration as his son carefully and skillfully guides this huge fish, whatever it is, into the dock. And they get to the dock, and the boy lifts it out, huge, biggest fish he'd ever seen that he caught. And it was a tremendous, huge beautiful, glistening in the moonlight, bass. And he put it there in the dock, and the father and son are admiring this beautiful fish, and all of a sudden, the dad reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a, a, a book of matches. He lights a match, and he checks his watch, and it was 10 o'clock at night, two hours before bass season starts. And with sadness in his voice, he speaks to his son. He says, son, we're going to have to put the fish back. And his son begins to protest, but dad, it's like the biggest fish I've ever caught. Well, I know some, but there'll be other fish. Dad, there'll never be a fish this big. Well, I know some, but it's, it's not bass season yet. This is a bass. 
The boy quickly looked all around the lake. He looked around. There was no one in sight. No one would know. It was only his dad and him. But he could tell from the sound of his dad's voice there was no compromise on this issue. And so he carefully took the hook out of the, the beautiful fish's mouth. He put it back in the water. And one gigantic flap of the tail, he disappeared. Now it's, 40, now it's 34 years later. James Lenvesti's writing this article as a 45-year-old man. He said, you know, every year... I still go back to that lake. Every year I take my own kids now. We go to that cabin. We go out on that dock and we go fishing. And he said, you know what? What I said that night was true. I've never seen a fish that big. (laughs) The rest of my life. But he said, you know what? I do see that fish over and over again in my mind's eye. Every time when I'm short on a deadline, and I'm tempted as an architect to cut corners. Every time that, because of my business practice, I get insider information on a hot stock, he said, I see that fish, and I remember the lesson my father taught me that day. In that article, I I actually, I cut out this part of it because it was just so powerful. He said, the decision to do right lives fresh and fragrant in our memory It's a story we'll proudly tell our friends and grandchildren, not about how we had a chance to beat the system and took it, but about how we did the right thing and were forever straightened. Isn't that great? Integrity, it's about doing the right thing even when it costs you. It's one of the most important marks of becoming like Jesus. Now, number two, we're just gonna look at one another, one other one, and we'll move faster in this one. But the word I'm throwing at this one, it's kind of an overarching umbrella word again, is peace-loving that the follower of Jesus in becoming like Jesus is a peace-loving person. Now by this, I don't mean that this person never takes a stand. Obviously, Jesus took lots of stands. He was a very controversial figure. But what I'm saying is that this person is not argumentative. They don't like a fight. They're not looking for a fight. You know, there's some Christians that are so zealous for the truth, they'll fight you over anything, anywhere, anytime. And in doing this, many times we think that we're being like Jesus. But as we've seen today in many of these character lists, that is not the truth. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You want to look like, what does a son of God look like? What is the DNA of a son of God, they're a peacemaker. They're courageous to take a stand, but they are never looking for a fight. That's not what they're about. So many times, I think in the Christian community, we've just missed this. Sometimes we'll almost applaud those leaders in our midst who will fight over anything. As just, as long as you're fighting for the right thing, you go get them, be a pit bull for Jesus. And what we see in the scripture is exactly the opposite. We saw this, for example, When we looked at 1 Timothy 3 today, the mark of an elder, did you catch that? Gentle, temperate, not quarrelsome. Did you catch that? Look there on your note sheet. In James chapter 3, another one of these character lists, the wisdom that comes from above. In other words, what's a really wise person look like? The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then it's peace-loving. You see that? Look at the next words. They're all relational words. They're considerate person. 
They're submissive to others. They don't have to always have their own way. They're full of mercy. Look at the last sentence. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Let me put it this way. One of the marks of a person like Jesus is they know how to get along with people. Wow, what a challenge for us. What a challenge. What an indictment against the Christian community. And we're so many times, while we're so busy taking our right stand for important issues, we take the stand in the wrong way. And we alienate the world in the process. Did it ever strike you how Jesus was really likable? You, know, you read through the Gospels, there's a lot of conflict, but it's always with one kind of person. <laughs> it's the religious hypocrite. They could not handle him. They could not handle him. He was messing with their power structure. They didn't want to lose that power structure, so they couldn't handle him. But everyone else really liked him. You're, you're a streetwalker? They really liked Jesus. You're a tax collector, rip-off artist? They wanted to go and hang out with Jesus for dinner. They're like, hey, Jesus, come on in. We're just sitting down here. You want to have dinner with us? I mean, Jesus, we're told in Luke chapter uh, I think it's like three, right in there somewhere. But it's right after his parents couldn't find him. He was lost for three days in Jerusalem, which think about that, parents. It's a long time. But it says that he went home and he grew in favor with God and man. People liked having Jesus around. He wasn't a fighter. He wasn't looking to pick a fight. And so many times in the Christian community, we have stood up for the right causes in the wrong way. And we alienated the world. And then we wonder, why don't we have more impact? Well, I'll tell you what. Here at Rocky Peak, I want us to stand up for the right things in the right way. I want us to be known as a congregation of sons and daughters of God, peacemakers, people who know how to get along with people. Now we're going to look at a couple passages that really flesh this out well. The first one is in 2 Timothy, chapter 2. So why don't you turn there. Second Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 23. This is written to Timothy, who of course was a church leader, about how to deal with issues in the church when there was false teaching going on, or wrong teaching, 2.23. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. You catch that? Just some arguments are just foolish and they're stupid. Now, if you have a stupid argument, that makes you what? Stupid person, right? I just don't miss that. <laughs> because you know they produce what? Quarrels. Catch that. And the Lord's servant must not, what? Quarrel. Have you ever known the Lord's servants, any one of the Lord's servants who are very quarrelsome people? <laughs> kind of fights you about things all, you know, all the time, you know? We'll talk about this more in law number seven. So in the law of unity, like what's worth fighting over, what isn't worth fighting over? We'll come back to this. But catch this, pretty important. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to who? Everyone. Well, what if it's a pro-choice person? Are they part of everyone? 
What if it's an atheist who's trying to get prayer out of society and take, uh, or someone who's trying to take a cross off of a seal, let's just say? I mean, just hypothetically speaking. How are we supposed to treat that person? Kindness. Well, you mean everyone, even our enemies? Even the people that are trying to create a secular society and take God totally out of our society? We're to treat them with kindness? Oh, no, I thought we were supposed to beat up on them in the name of Jesus. Right? Make fun of them. Call them names. Is that what your Bible says? So I'm going to ask you a question. Are we going to follow the word of God here at Rocky Peak or not? I say we follow it. And when my Bible says we're to be kind to everyone, it sounds pretty all-inclusive to me. That a mark of character is gentleness. A mark of character is kindness. A mark of character is being a peacemaker. And what's so amazing about this passage is look at who he's talking about here. He says, verse 25, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, notice that word gently, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, catch this, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the home, the devil. He's saying you're dealing with someone who is totally out of touch with reality, out of touch with truth. They've been deceived by the devil, and yet we're to treat them with kindness. Do you see that? So many times we think that well, as long as a person is really wrong and they're doing something evil, it gives us the right to treat them poorly. In fact, it's what they deserve. In fact, we're acting, we're like God's judgment upon them. I want you to catch this. No, the mark of being like Jesus is we're peacemakers. We're not looking for a fight. We'll stand up for the truth, and we'll, we'll be willing to create conflict if you don't like it. But we will not, we're not looking for a fight. Okay. Just one more verse, real quick. 1 Peter 3.15. How about when we share Jesus with someone, you know? We share Jesus with someone who's very antagonistic or they're very critical of, of, of our Lord or critical of his word or, or whatever. How do, we, how do we handle that situation? 1 Peter 3.15. He says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Notice not who everyone you want to talk to, but everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus? Why are you looking forward to the future? What, what's up? But then catch this. So we're always to be ready, but do this with two words. What's the first word? Gentleness. Second word is what? Respect. So when we're sharing Christ, we're to be bold in sharing, but we're always to be sharing with gentleness and respect. You see that? So the mark of a like Jesus person is being a peacemaker. And he's saying, like, why is it so important? There's so many character qualities you could have chosen today to, to focus in. Why this one? Well, because at the very beginning, it's so important as a church that we decide what we're going to fight over and what we're not going to fight over. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. We get to law number seven. But I just want to lay the groundwork here. 
that people that are like Jesus don't enjoy a fight. They're not looking for a fight. We'll talk more about that when the time comes. But for now, I just want to lay this out, that here at Rocky Peak, right here today, I'm driving a huge imaginary bullseye in front of the auditorium, okay? And dead center of that, we're going to put the name Jesus. And we're going to say, right here, right now, this time, this place, as a congregation, we come together and we say, this is why we come to church. This is why we call people out of the world. This is why we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus to become like Jesus. And from this point on, in this church, history of this church, this will always be what our goal is. That we would become men and women who think and feel and respond and react and act like Jesus would do if he were in our place here. That's what he's called us for. That's what it means to be a church. That's the plan he had before time began that we would become like his son and he would create a family with many brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Lord, today is a day of fresh beginnings. It seems like every week in this series has been like this. Times where we come before you as a congregation and we say, okay, we want to run in the path of your commands. Okay, we want to follow you and obey you so you, we can experience you in our life. Well, today, Lord, we come and we say as a congregation, Lord, we want to be like you. We understand that's your goal in our life and that's how we'll measure maturity here at Rocky Peak. There's a lot of good things we do, a lot of subsets of what we're called to do. But the one thing over, overarching all, the one rule that rules the rest is the calling to be like you. We invite you to come and be our teacher, that we would be your students, that we would grow up to be like the teacher. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Uh, wasn't that a good challenge today? <laughs>